As a teenage kid fresh out of high school, Sean Nelson came up with the idea of making his own beanbag with foam that caught on like wildfire across the U.S. within a few years. As his business Love Sack took off, he also won a million-dollar investment from Richard Branson on the hit TV show Rebel Billionaire. Like many businesses that grow super quickly, Love Sack hit a rock bottom in those early years as they filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Sean explains to me what it was like to stick with his business and rebuild, the lessons he learned in leadership and overcoming adversity, and what they had to do to build all the way back up to the point of going public in June of 2018. He explains why LoveSack is now totally focused on sustainability and helping families grow with sectionals that will literally last a lifetime. Sean shares with me some of his personal values that he's established over the years, too, why being a family man is the most important thing to him and how he manages to make the entire Lovesack organization feel like family too. You guys, today I have a really awesome guest who is a very important person in the world of CEOs and he has done a lot of cool things with this invention that I'll let him kind of talk about how this was cooked up one day. Um, But I've known him for a long time. He married a good friend of mine who I studied piano with for years and years and still vividly remember going to their wedding reception and how you pulled this rabbit out of the hat by giving Tiffany um, a piano at your wedding reception. That was very memorable and um, just a really, really good, kind person. So Sean Nelson, CEO of Love Sack, is here with me today. You want to say hi, Sean? Yeah, great to be here. Thanks so much, Corinne. Yeah, thanks so much for taking the time to be here. Um, Sean is someone I've really admired, not only because he has grown so much of just a hugely successful business, but also I'm always very touched by the employees that he interviews and that he comes across um, on social that they always are very, very invested in the vision of what Love Sack really is and and you get like these massive turnouts of people when you guys open new stores and it's just kind of this cult community. And so I really want to get into that and how you've cultivated such a cool thing within your employees and your super fans and how that all came to be. Great. Yeah. Um, flattered. Uh, yeah. Love sack is a funny little company. That's not so little anymore. Um, the very short, short version is that, you know, I, I made a giant beanbag when I was 18 years old, right out of, right out of high school and, uh, people loved it. And it's actually not a beanbag. It's full of foam. If you've never sat in a love sack, you're missing out, but we have, uh, it was kind of a side hustle in college and I never took it seriously. I, I waited tables to pay my way through school. It never made any money, but then after college, we got a big order and that led to a factory and that led to stores and fast forward to today. Love Sack. Uh, we operate more than 90 showrooms in you know the highest end shopping malls around the United States. Where we went public last year on Nasdaq, and um, we employ you know hundreds of people. And um, we are headquartered now in in Stamford, Connecticut. Uh, however, we began in Salt Lake City, Utah, where I went to where I went to college and started the company out there, and then eventually moved out here. And that's a very long story. You know, been through venture capital, private equity public markets and, and, you know, now we're growing faster than ever, fastest growing furniture retailer in the United States of America. And I'm um, very proud of what we've built, but it, you know, it took me like 20 years. So it's been a long slog, um, a lot of um, 
people along the way, building it with me and, and ups and downs, literally, literally the highest highs. I won a million dollar investment on TV one time with Richard Branson. Yes. We um, totally watched that. That was exciting to watch. Yeah, yes. So, um, with the hair, you had, you had hair, like, yes. Yeah. I'll never live down my, my, <laughs> I cut it all off, but, uh, Richard Branson, um, and I've been through the lowest lows, you know, complete chapter 11 reorg starting over embarrassing, difficult, and been through it all. And, and along the way was fortunate enough to, to marry, um, an amazing, uh, woman, Tiffany, who, you know, really well. And yeah. She always tells me about all the time you spent in the car together, carpooling back and forth to your to our um, multiple lessons yeah, a week. Yeah, exactly. So Tiffany is fantastic. And we've had four children, all born in Connecticut. And now we live in St. George, Utah. So we're back. And believe it or not, I, I kind of commute back and forth between St. George, Utah and Stanford, Connecticut, um, neither of which has, you know, a one-stop airport. So it's a, it's a pretty crazy lifestyle these days. But, um, you know, not to ramble on about Love Sack, but um, I think you had you know, you mentioned, you know, the employees and the, and the culture and the vibe. And, and of course, it's something I'm most proud of, uh, besides mm-hmm. my own family. But um, it's been a, a long evolution to go from just like your college buddies struggling through startup land uh, all the way to now, you know, hundreds of employees across the nation. You know, we employ hundreds of people across the globe. We manufacture in um, China and Vietnam and, and, you know, indirectly through third-party manufacturers. And so it's been a long evolution and, and um, it's something I love to reflect on and, and, and talk about how that's come about. That's so cool. Um, so I want to touch on something that you just brought up a second ago. I did not know that you guys survived Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of companies come out of that mm-hmm. on the positive end. And then to, to say that you guys were also able to go public last year, that's huge. So Talk to me about the, you know, lowest of lows and then being able to see a vision of how you could get out of that and go somewhere positive. What was that like? Yeah. Well, you know, what's funny is, especially on the heels of being like, you know, this poster child entrepreneur, million dollar Mm -hmm. investment on reality TV, which by the way, so at the moment I was handed this million dollar check on Necker Island by Richard Branson. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking I've got 2 million in debt. Right, having built at that time, you know, a bunch of uh, love sack stores with with a bunch of young, you know, kids as partners, and mm-hmm. making a bunch of mistakes along the way. And so, anyway, fast forward through venture capital, and their big idea was to bankrupt the company, close down bad stores, and kind of start over. It's a very humbling, embarrassing, ugly process that, you know, it's just humiliating. At the same time as hard as that is, and, and, and look, people are hurt in business transactions all the time. It wrecks relationships. It wrecks friendships. The reality is, and you can take this as you like, it's a real blessing of the modern world and especially the country we live in, in the sense that, you know, at any point in human history before that, before today's time, you know, you would have ended up in, in debtor's prison and your, your generations of people would have been lost to there's no way, there's no way out. And so risk couldn't right. be taken. Business couldn't have been built. People now today couldn't have been employed because it didn't allow for it. So in our capitalist society, believe it or not, these, these ugly times and uh, opportunities that we have in, in this world, in this modern economy actually allow for 
business to thrive. It allows for entrepreneurs to take risks. It allows for, for people to survive through ugly financial times. And I'm really now, um, as, as difficult as it was, and I'm so glad that I had such an awesome wife who, who I was married at the time and saw me through it. And, um, and great friends and partners and everything else and investors even, we get the chance to employ now hundreds of people and build this awesome business. And so, uh, you know, and, and, and then, you know, on the other end of that in 2018, going public on NASDAQ, I mean, there's nothing probably more symbolic of like, I don't know, corporate success than like ringing the bell on Wall Street. And it was right. amazing and exciting. At the same time, kind of just like my Richard Branson days, you know, here I am ringing the bell, going public. The company's worth, you know, hundreds of millions. How crazy does that sound? Yeah. By the way, we now sell these really cool couches. I'll tell you about them in a second. They're modular. Yes. They're amazing. They're built for families and they're 90% of our sales. We're not just a beanbag company anymore. But, you know, doing this kind of epic thing, at the same time, you know, I had dinner with my cute parents the night before who had lent me a few thousand bucks back in college to buy a forklift. And, and it's just... I can't express like through it all, through all these years of, of growing a business, how many billionaires I've met along the way, legitimately millionaires, other entrepreneurs, whatever. And they're just people just like, I'm just a person. And I got some kids yes. who think I'm a goofball and, <laughs> and, you know, I'm trying to juggle coaching soccer and, um, making time to even have dinner with my parents before going to ring the bell on NASDAQ. And I think it just puts it all into perspective because you just don't need a huge pile of cash, a huge pile of money, a huge pile of success to be, to be happy. Like the reality is I know many billionaires that will make more money than I ever still have a chance to do to make who would trade me in a heartbeat just to maybe have a family that's still intact yeah, or whatever. So, so through all this, all this crazy experience that I've had, and I've given you kind of a very chopped up version of it. Um, I'm just glad to have an awesome family and, and um, have an awesome wife and four amazing kids and, and frankly, get the chance to continue to employ people and to do fun things and invent things and bring things to the world. And so that's kind of what I'm all about. That's so cool. Um, I want to take it back to something you mentioned just a second ago that all of these super uber successful entrepreneurs that you know are just people. So I want to like roll time back to when you started this invention that kind of caught on and was this big thing. And then you have to, you know, you're like, oh, now I got to find employees and find people to partner with. And Mm -hmm. as a young person who suddenly had so much responsibility, how did you learn to be a leader? What did you have a mentor? Were there books? Were there things or was it just like the school of hard knocks? For me, it was certainly the school of hard knocks. However, uh, there are some things that, you know, I picked up along the way and things that I wish that I had done more of, but that, that were hugely helpful. So number one, you know, kind of two main things that I preach all the time to people going through it. One is, uh, I say, read, read, read. So there, especially today, there is like, including this podcast, right? There is unlimited amount an unlimited amount of information, knowledge, tips, tricks, shortcuts, um, how to's out there. If you're humble enough to read the best books, to invest in yourself, to, you know, use your time to listen to inspiring, um, whether it's books on tape, whether it's podcasts, uh, whether it's, you know, the media we take in, there's just so much 
it, learning from others' mistakes is mm-hmm. just way less costly than learning from your own. And I've done plenty of both. And number two is, is you know, you mentioned it with mentors is, is networking. You know, and I, it's an ugly word. Like, who likes to be the guy or girl at a party, like, trying to, like, network? Oh, even that word, like, makes me squirm, like, thinking about having to, like, shake all these people's hands and the make word. small talk and remember what their kids' names are. And, oh, yeah. And so I use that <laughs> word, you know, carefully because it really is pretty, like, annoying. But on the other hand... You got to push yourself because at the end of the day, it's the connections we make that lead to other connections that lead to other connections. And it can be as simple as, you know, like how cool is it that I'm connected with Corinne and she's who knew, like, you know, you, uh, you know, we, we, we go to each other's weddings or we grow up, you know, loosely connected and who would, who would know whether I would be successful or you would be successful or in our case, both. And here we are getting to share our platforms in some form with each other. So all these connections that you might make big or small matter. And you don't know which ones are going to be big or small in your life. And so I just think, you know, just having more lunches with people, um, pushing yourself out of the comfort zone, you know, showing up at, at this or that event or just being open. And more importantly, once again, being humble enough to mm-hmm. listen to people who just know more than you. Yeah. you believe that or not. And that's the tricky part is most entrepreneurs by definition are a little bit cocky or a little bit confident because you got to be to mm-hmm. be one. On the other hand, you really have to be humble enough to, and, and, and I made the mistake. I, I probably could have avoided even, you know, the worst things that came my way along the way had I been even more humble and, and really listened and really took the advice of people who were, who had offered it to me along the way. And, and I, and I didn't always. That's interesting. Okay. I want to also ask you about books. We've had this conversation before. I remember emailing you and saying, what are your top three books or whatever? And um, so I would love for you to share what those are and why you are a big believer in the books that you, Mm -hmm. you know, go back to over and over. I know they're classics too. Yeah, I have. um, I'm a somewhat prolific reader. Like I really do Mm -hmm. value books and I just think that there really is a lot of um, information out there that, you know, we can gain from. And uh, there are just, oh man, there's so many great ones. But, let, but I think probably my, my favorite ones, like some of the ones that I, I would um, recommend to almost anyone trying to build anything. Well, there's, you know, there's a number of business classics, like Good to Great, That's the BHOG thing, right? Yeah, you like, yeah by Jim yeah. Collins. Sorry, Good to Great by Jim Collins. Okay. Uh, the Advantage by Lencioni. You've got a great little tiny book called The Purple Cow by Seth Godin. If you haven't read that, um, that would- I haven't. Almost anything in life, you know, not even just, you know, entrepreneurship. And I could go on a million, a million entrepreneurship type books, but my fa- some of my favorite ones are, are ones that are more about psychology and the way humans work. Because again, yeah. you want to be an entrepreneur, whether you want to be, whether you want to be a blogger, whether you want to be- an influencer, whether you want to be just a better mom, dad, uh, leader, whatever, you know, books like Psycho Cybernetics, which is such a weird book, but it's kind of the genesis for Tony Robbins, um, mm. NLP. Like it's, it's really the root of what almost every self-help guru has built on since. It's, it's the original one um, that kind of teased out the way that our brains work and the way that we can program our brains so, um, psycho cybernetics and then, and then most recently books about the world. So 
probably the best book I've read in the last 10 years is called The Accidental Superpower. And I know that sounds like a funny title, but it really opened my mind to the world. And this is a book about America and how America came to be America and why it really is sort of like a special place in the world and and why it's become powerful in the world and, and why it will remain powerful in the world. And it has to do with geography and geology and it has to do with anthropology and, and, and it goes through the entire globe, talks about each country and, and, and some history and the, and the reason things are the way they are. And it's really helped me make sense of like what's going on in politics with China, with the Middle East, with America. It's just such a fascinating read because here we are all citizens of the globe, even if you know, mm-hmm. all we were trying to do is raise our kids or whatever, but we're still functioning in America, in the world. And all these things are happening around us. And, and I think to, to be wise as to kind of why things are the way they are and maybe, maybe more importantly where they're going, I think it has value no matter what you're trying to do in life. Right. Understanding what's going on around you. Yeah. yeah. So important. Yeah. Okay. Those books sound great. I'm going to, we'll add them all to our show notes. Let's talk for a minute about leadership and about how you have, I feel like in most really great organizations like yours, where you have a really great vibe, where people stick around for a long time, where they love their jobs, it starts at the top. And so I want to know what your secret sauce is. How do you get people to just be so invested? They love their job. For the record, every time I've walked into the Love Sack store that's local to us, Mm -hmm. people are happy. They've got like great music on, you know, there's always like a good vibe and they seem like they love being at work. So how are you doing that? Well, and I'm glad to hear that. That's not always the case, right? You you definitely can't control everyone everywhere or whatever, but it's great to hear that, Corinne. And, um, you know, I, I believe it does start at the top and I don't mean that egotistically, but like I, I once heard a great quote, like the consciousness of an organization will only ever rise as high as the consciousness of its leadership team. And by consciousness, I mean, you know, the efficacy, the realness, the humanness, the empathy, you know, it will only ever get as high as, and so, and so it's a real, I feel like it's a, it's a huge, it's not just an honor and like an ego thing. And it's not just cool to be a leader or to be a CEO. It is a huge responsibility. And my own mood management, my own fitness, my own self-control, my own language, um, mm-hmm. my own projected enthusiasm all has an effect on this organization. And any organization, whether you're talking about just your own family or whether right. you're talking about a company or, what, or a movement or, or, or a followership on Instagram or whatever. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I just think, um, being conscious of that and being self, trying to be self-aware and trying to be a little bit self-critical without making yourself depressed and then living up to it. Right. And by the way, I think the number one principle, make the effort. Okay. And what I mean by that is if you think it like, God, wouldn't that be cool if, um, my kids knew what I thought because I, I made little videos or stories for them. Well, go do it. Right. Or wouldn't that yeah. be cool if my employees 
got a chance, you know, that live in disparate states, got a chance to hear the vision from me out of my own mouth. So right now, even right now, I'm working with my staff on, on uh, here at HQ on, on putting together a video hangout series, you know, go do it, make the effort. Don't just think it. I'm too busy. I got too many important things to do, you know? Mm. Um, and I think number two is do the small stuff. So, for instance, on Instagram, so these people that you mentioned, like that work in our showrooms, I, I know a lot of them, you know, yesterday I got to meet, um, Daniel up in Westport at our showroom there. I walked in there and surprised him. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, I got to meet a couple of the people there and I, I, and I, and I take the time to get to know them and, and, you know, make a little video with them and, and, uh, hopefully post it and tag them, whatever. But, but also when these people connect with me, like I got, a, I got a question just this morning, I'm laying in bed and, um, you know, I look at my phone and on Instagram and it might be an employee in, in Scottsdale, Arizona. It might be a customer in Nebraska. And if they DM me, I DM them back, you know, and I think a lot of people are sometimes shocked that, you know, the, the CEO of this public company is even, they're, they're like, they're, they might be complaining about their back pillow on their sectionals couch. <laughs> and I'll like answer them. And, you know, I might hand them off to our customer service people to fix their problem, or I might just give them like a decorating tip. But like, I really do my best to, to answer it. And it's a pain in the butt. And in, in your world, Corinne, I can't even imagine. You probably have a thousand. Maybe you can't even keep up. But, um, but anyway, I do my best to, to answer all those DMs and to answer all my tweets. Yeah. And be, you know, be out there, be available, be present. And it, totally energy, man. It's like every little bit sucks a little bit of energy out of your life. But I think um, the collective effort, hopefully, and by the way, I made the effort to go up to Westport. I made the effort to drop into those showrooms. I make the effort to show up late at night and do trainings with them personally, right? Occasionally. When you're probably exhausted and you've done plenty of other things all day long, right. and you, it'd be a lot easier for you to just go back and like turn on ESPN Absolutely. or something. Absolutely. That's exactly and, right put your feet up. Yeah. Well, I do that too. By the way, there's time to like relax and get your head straight, but yeah. it's just like making the effort whenever you have a shred of energy, I believe it all matters. Um, and, and I think also as you get bigger, as you have more responsibility, trying to be more efficient, there'll come a day where, and you probably are already there where you, where maybe you can't answer all your DMS or whatever, and, and you need assistance or you need a machine or whatever, but there may be more efficient ways for you to still be available, be present, but, you know, occasionally making that effort to, to do it personally, to show it personally, to go, you know, in my case, sell a sack or, or demo sectionals myself in a showroom and stay in touch with how customers are receiving it. All these things matter. Yeah. And, and those are things that I'm very big on. I love that. I think it is so important to be a human, to be a real person and to remember, I just always feel like I, I want, I never want to forget where all of this came from and that every time I, and I work super hard to do DMs too, and I can't always get to all of them, but I figure even if I'm only answering 20% of them, at least those 20% that I'm randomly getting to are feeling like I care because I really do. And you know, I had an interaction one time with a blogger a long time ago who I really looked up to, who I felt like was someone that I was just really admired her work. And when I met her, it was such a ugh, like mm -hmm. not cool experience where she was so different in person than what I expected mm -hmm. from what I had experienced online that mm -hmm. 
it just taught me I never want anyone to have that kind of interaction with me. That's awesome. But, you know, I would imagine in it, it's a different thing, though, with like our team members and the people that work for us versus the people who I feel like are our customers. And I don't know if you feel that way, but it is it's like with the people that are on your team or in your organization, I feel like that it's a different challenge where you have to really make an effort to make each person feel noticed and feel important and feel included. So with, with how big your organization is and how everyone's so spread out, how are you achieving that? Because you can't pop into every showroom. There's no way, you know, you can't personally make a connection with every single person that works for you now. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. That's a good observation. Yeah, we, uh, that's exactly right. And I think there's a, there's two things that I would offer. Number one I can't do it. And I, I used to, there were a few years there. In fact, Tiffany sometimes came with me where I would make, I would absolutely during holiday season, I literally spent a month on the road. This before I had kids and mm-hmm. I would visit every single store. I would work there wow. for a few hours. I wouldn't just show up and wave it. I'm like, I don't know, pretend I'm important. I would work there. <laughs> I would sell yeah. stuff. I would help them clean it, whatever. I do some training and, and then I, and I get to know them. Right. And I, and, and ask them questions. Anyway, I call the operation frontline and I used to try and get everyone in our headquarters to do the same, at least in a location or two. Now, fast forward to today, I can barely, I can barely make it out there. And when I do, I try and do it in groups. So it has an effect, but, but I think, so my piece of advice, number one, as you scale and to, and, and as you grow is whatever you can still afford to invest in the personal side of things find a way to amplify it. So for instance, mm. as an example, so yesterday I had a few minutes, I, I, I took the time to pop into Westport location and get to know, you know, um, Daniel and, and the crew there. And, um, and that was great. But I also took the time to post it on Instagram and not, not just to like brag about, you know, how like cool I am or down to earth I am necessarily, but also at least so like the, the showrooms that I can't make it to know that I'm there. And, and, and that you're taking the time to care. Yeah. And I know it's not yeah. them. I'm not in their showroom, but at least those who, who are following or whatever, paying attention. And even my own, you know, staff here at Lovesack HQ, like they, like I expect them to be running a tight ship and being on the front lines. They know like I'm not too good to be on the front lines. So I think like making sure, you know, you're, you're letting your light shine as it were and not hiding it. Right. Like, um, Mm -hmm. and, and in a way that is not meant to be egotistical, but in a way that's meant to be useful. Um, and so, you know, make sure that you're amplifying the bit that you do get to, to do as it were, I think, you know, tip number two, and this is really the big one in leading any kind of organization that you want to, um, carry the torch, you know, uh, exemplify the vibe, the ethos, whatever it may be, um, is to build what I call a strategic guide and, and use it and let it infiltrate the organization. So, so what a strategic guide is in my book is, and this came from that book I actually mentioned already, um, sort of parts of it came from the book, the advantage from Patrick Lencioni and essentially identifying the why, the what, the purpose, the mission, the values, the principles, what we believe. So there's like five things Lovesack believes. There are values, Lovesack, that you, you, you have to live to be a sacker, right? There are, there's a purpose. Like our, our, you know, our big, hairy, audacious goal, to quote Jim Collins again, 
Yeah. Um, is believe it or not. So we make this product called Sactionals. And Sactionals is this really cool couch that you can arrange and rearrange. It's, it's kid-proof, life-proof. You, you can literally own it the rest of your life because it can grow with your family. You can add pieces to it even years later. You can change the covers, wash the covers. It's really quite elegant. It's really good looking. It's, it's as expensive as anything from Crate and Barrel or Pottery Barn. It's not crazy, but it's, a, it's patented and it's totally unique. And it's just two simple pieces that you can arrange and rearrange forever. Okay, so it, that's what has LoveSat growing so rapidly. I think we're going to someday be the biggest furniture company in the United States, mostly off of this one product, believe it or not. I know that sounds crazy, but I believe we can do it. So No, it's very, very cool. I'm with you on that. All right, well, you're sweetheart. Well, that, that being said, believe it or not, if you own, the reason I mentioned all that is because if you owned it, you'll discover that like maybe, you know, two months into it, your kid knocks over a Coca-Cola and it's all over the couch. And in any normal circumstance, Corinne, that would be a disaster. Like, you know, right. you might lose your temper with your kid, family <laughs> moment. And how bad is that? Like over, over furniture, right? But if you own sectionals, it's really not that big a deal. You peel the cover off, you throw it in the washing machine. If your kid, you know, lit the cover on fire, you could, you could always just replace one cover of one arm. <laughs> brand new, no big deal, right? Mm-hmm. My point is then it's, and years can go by, you move to a new place, the couch will always fit because it can be arranged and rearranged, split into whatever. So you live with a product like this and you start thinking to yourself, why can't my phone continue? Like, you know, this iPhone I'm holding is going to die. You already know it in two years. Why can't it yes. for 10 years? And, mm-hmm. and because we believe in a purpose, in a design philosophy that's called designed for life. And we preach it and we carve it on the wall of our showrooms. You'll find it in our showrooms. It's designed for life. Things that are built to last a lifetime but more importantly, designed to evolve. Okay. That's our whole mm. ethos. Okay. Design for life. How many things do you own that can evolve with you as your life changes? Not very many. Not many, right? Like your, like your jeans are too tight. Now they're too loose. They were too low. Now they're too high. Your shirt's too baggy now. It's whatever. Right. And so, um, your phone is already outdated. So like, we're really proud of that ethos. It's unique to love sack. And that's what satchels represent. Okay. Here's what I'm getting at. If you own this product, you start rethinking everything you own all of a sudden you start thinking, well, what? you know, my couch can do it. Why can't my phone do it? Why can't my car do it? Why, you know, I need a truck to go to Home Depot. Why can't my car just turn into a truck? My sectionals can transform. And it starts making you think. So, so my point is we have boiled it down to a stated purpose besides our design philosophy, design for life. We have this purpose that we all believe in. That is we believe, believe it or not, by selling our couch and getting people onto this platform, we can convince mankind someday to buy less stuff. Hmm. buy better. Believe it or not, we're a company that sells stuff. We're a company that sells stuff. But if we succeed at a huge scale at putting our couches in most people's homes, they don't have to be in every room. You can have your white, whatever, Corinne, you know, in the room, but you could have sectionals. How did you know I wanted something white? Everything here is white. Neil's like, it's like the temple. Everything has to be white. We make white (laughs) sections, but, um, and ours are washable, but the point, the point, but it doesn't look washable, right? It doesn't look like a Mm -hmm. slipcover. So anyway, um, my point, though, is if we could do this at scale and, and then get people over time kind of really loving our brand and saying, like, why can't all my things adapt with me, change with me, grow with me, wash, be maintainable, right? Then all of a sudden, we might just be able to start changing the way that people, I mean, all people think about the things they buy. Buy less stuff, buy better. And this comes from a company that sells stuff. And so if we succeed... The end result is there will be fewer couches sold on planet earth because you're never going to have to buy another one. You can just 
you get sick of white someday, Corinne, believe it or not, you could change the whole thing to leather and it's brand new and, and amazing again and fluffy again and new pillows, you know, but the core frames will last you literally forever. And so we're really proud of that. And, and that's the kind of purpose now that when you hire someone and get them to believe in that, that's way more exciting than just like, Hey, sell more couches so you can make a little bit more commission. Yeah. Well, that really is super interesting as far as I feel like there's so many companies who feel like evolving looks like we better always be making the biggest, newest, fastest, smartest, 10 steps ahead of everyone else or else we will, you know, or else we won't survive. And you're talking about an opposite mentality here. That's That's super interesting to me. Well, how weird is it that we may, if we do it right, because if you bought sectionals, right? Like you come back in five years because we've told you you can add to them. If we've moved on to a new model, you're, you're like, that's not cool because now you can't add on to it like we said you could. So we may be doomed. And we may, we're, we're going to make other things, don't get me wrong, but we may be doomed to making the same product for like two, three, four more decades. <laughs> I'm serious. And we love it. We love that. And we'll still do other things. But my point is it really is a different way to come at business. And, and it's not even that. Now, forget Love Sack. Forget the, you know, the, the product or whatever. The point is when you have something that really drives you, like, mm-hmm. hey, we might just be able to convince people to think differently about everything they buy and therefore a, achieve true sustainable living. That is more exciting to wake up in the morning and go to work, even if you're working at the mall, than just selling more stuff to make a little bit more money. And right. that's what drives totally. me. That's what drives the company. That's what drives the, the people you meet in those showrooms. And they, they may never have the time, as I, you just gave me, to explain this to you. They'll just sell you a couch. But deep down, what they're doing is they know they're going to change the way that you think about everything through the lens of a couch, the most unlikely, banal, silly thing on the planet. Okay, well, this is incredible to me. It's like making so many of the pieces come together. But I also want to know, how do you get these like raving super fans who are such huge believers in your brand? Because I guarantee you, they don't all understand this mentality behind what you guys believe. How have you like built that community? How do you get people to buy into Love Sex? Because I'm always just blown away by the passion that people have for your brand. Thank you. I am too. Look, it's, it's always been flattering. And, and from day one, there was always a little bit of spark to love. You know, like back when I was selling these in college, we sold t-shirts right from day one because the name Love Stack on it because mm-hmm. it's kind of a goofy name and you don't forget it, right? Look, you got to have a great name. You got to have a great brand. You got to start with some kind of spark. But more than that, once you're able to have something meaningful that goes beyond just, again, we sell really good couches. So what? But believe it or not, even though people, to your point, may not fully understand our purpose or take the time to research the company or know about our sustainability, you know, um, ethos, they smell it out. In other words, like they they mm. buy the product, their friend owns the product, they love what it stands for, even if it's just that it stands for a couch that their kids can't wreck. And it yeah. and it takes a little bit of stress out of their life because there it is. They bought it because it was a washable couch. But the reality is what we've done, Corinne, is we've spread this vibe. We call it total comfort, where of course our our sectionals are comfortable. The big, comfy, gushy couch, they're awesome. But Mm -hmm. more importantly, you can relax a little more because, and your dog can actually cuddle with you on the couch because no big deal. It's no big deal. Like the hair is 
you know, removable, the covers are washable and let your kids wreck them for a few years. And a few years later, you can get a brand new set of covers and it'll smell great and look great. And that just takes a little bit of stress out of your life, allows for more comfort in the home, allows for a little less ambient pressure and stress. And whether they get it or not, they love the brand for it. And so I think the raving fans, again, come from the same source, from having something meaningful underneath it all that goes beyond just selling a really good something or being really, really pretty or being really, really cool. It's about having a purpose, something meaningful. And then people just like it and then they get behind it and they want to support you. Yeah. They can feel it. That's really interesting. Even if they don't know it, you know, even if they don't know like the whole ethos, they just sense that like, you know, it's good for them and then by the way, over time, they come to know it. They do, you know, they come closer to the brand. They, they maybe follow me. I preach it a little bit. They start to hear it. Then they start to appreciate it even more and they become raving fans. And then they start sharing it. And because, yeah. because I'm true to it, because I'm not like, as an example, like, look, you'll never, like we're doing this on video, right? No one can see it, but you'll never see me in anything other than a black t-shirt. And it's not because like, I mean, one, it's simple and easy and whatever, reduces my decisions in a day. But more importantly, <laughs> the one I'm wearing right now, Corinne, is probably, I'm not kidding, I bought it at Kohl's like eight years ago. Wow. It doesn't get stained, doesn't wear out. And it's my, it is sort of my protest against the fashion world that is always convincing us. No offense to obviously what y'all do and whatnot, but- No, it's okay. I know Tiffany's still buying shoes, so it's fine. Uh, yeah, I'm buying <laughs> shoes on Tiffany's behalf. But um, no, but, but by the way, that's fine. There's no problem with, with fashion in the sense that, and by the way, I'm buying plenty of jackets. I got million jackets, but my jackets I buy might last me 20 years if I buy the right ones. And this mm-hmm. shirt never will never go out of style. And it's just my kind of way of living my own ethos. And I think, I think so authenticity, you asked about raving fans. When they find you in the seams and cracks or on social media, or as you mentioned, in person, mm-hmm. you need to be authentic. It needs to be the real you. Totally. Like you, I can't preach sustainability and then go live like a maniac, you know? And, and so, and look, I'm not perfect and, and, and I'm not even a raving tree hugger or anything like that. My point is, <laughs> you know, be real, but be authentic and, and have something to be authentic to. And once you figure that out, people will be attracted to it, whether it's employees, partners, investors, or fans. Totally. So I want to ask how that has translated for your family life, for your personal life, because you guys have made some pretty like radical changes, like you mentioned before, moving from Connecticut, moving from this like beautiful waterfront home mm-hmm. to living in St. George, Utah. And right. um, where some of those decisions f- have filtered into your home life, your family life and and how you guys do everything you do. Thank you for asking. Yeah, the. Um... I mean, look, there, there is the purpose behind Love Sack, which I think is a beautiful thing and it's evolved into, a, it didn't begin as some grand vision, right? I, I told you, right. I just made a big beanbag, people liked it. Started <laughs> making couches, people liked those. And, and we eventually grew into this bigger vision that now drives our decision-making and the way we do things. That's cool. And the brand like grew up with you basically. Yeah. Yeah. But also that was because I went and had children of my own and I needed a kid proof mm-hmm. couch that could move with me through the homes that you've witnessed, you know, I've moved three or four times, five or six times actually with those same sacks. I have pieces of sectionals today that are in my home, in my, in front of my TV right now that are 10 years old and you wouldn't know the difference. They're, they're all wearing new covers that, you know, but 
My point is though, through all that, and, and as, as patriotic as I am, as it were, to love SAG, on my wedding ring right now, there is this inscription, and this, is a, this came along later um, as I grew up and, and got a different one because I didn't have, you know, I've evolved as a human. On the inscription on this wedding ring, it says, everything else is dust. So there are six black diamonds, and they represent, of course, you know, my four kids and me and Tiffany. And everything else is dust, even love sack. It's, it's dust. It doesn't matter. Right. If, if these six don't get to be together forever. And that hinges on my behavior, my self-control, my personal investment into the family. So when Tiffany, after spending 11 years in Connecticut alone, no family, no aunts, no uncles, no cousins, raising four kids with a husband CEO who travels like a maniac to keep up with this job, mm-hmm. said, man, wouldn't it be cool if we could somehow do this closer to my parents and have the kids grow up near their grandparents and have a little help getting them to soccer. You know, they're getting older and piano. And even though it's a wacky idea, um, even that was worth considering so much so that we went and did it. So one day visiting family back in, in Utah, her, her family migrated kind of from St. Jo- from Salt Lake to St. George, bountiful to St. George, as you know, in the yeah. that we were out in Connecticut and so we were visiting and we found this place we fell in love with and we just went for it. And I didn't know how it was going to work out. And at the time it was right before the IPO and had to tell my board of directors, like, you know, I'm, I'm moving to Utah. And, and anyway, we took the design team with us. We have an HQ2 out there growing, but it's not convenient. And it makes me travel even a little bit more. But for us, and that's the key, right? Like what's right for you is different than your neighbors, different than everyone. For us, it works. It works a, a little better than it did even, you know, on the East Coast, but it comes at a cost. Uh, and, and, you know, it's exhausting for me with the travel and it's exhausting for Tiff to have me away even a little more, but, it, but it, it's, it's better for her with family around. So net-net, it was the right thing to do for the Nelson Six. And right. if I can't make that work, then what's the point of anything else? Everything else is dust. It's so true. Neil and I have this conversation all the time. Like if we, if he died tomorrow, if I died tomorrow, when you get to heaven, people are not going to walk up to you and say, how did you make your money? Right. What do you do? No like thinks. I kind of, that, that question like always kind of like rubs me the wrong way. What do you do? I'm like, it means what do you do to make money? But mm. I'm like, is that really all we're doing here? Right. I hope not. I hope we're doing things that are much more important than how we make a paycheck or pay our rent or mortgage or whatever. You know what I mean? We have to do it. So, we, have, well, we have to survive. Right. We have right. to eat. By the sweat of our brow, we're expected to get by. So look, it's, it's, not, it's not wrong to be you know, caught up in your work and doing whatever, but it has to be prioritized. And like I said, like as much as I am passionate and crazy, I'm a crazy believer in what I'm doing. And I think we can have a huge effect on the world. And you know, we already are the single largest repurposer of plastic water bottles into fabric in the United States of America. We make all of our couches out of recycled plastic water bottles, like all the upholstery. You'd never know it. Like they look great, but like, it's just something we do because we believe in sustainability. My point is all that is awesome. And I believe it. And I'll spend my whole life trying to shrink these consumer pies that were made too big by dastardly companies like Apple that make their devices die after two years. And I'll do my thing. But at the end of the day, I would leave it 
tomorrow if somehow, I, you know, I couldn't make it work with my family. I would, I don't know, drive a truck or do something else because everything else is dust. And so just somehow maintaining priorities, maintaining perspective through the crazy demands of business or just, by the way, just putting food on the table, you know, if, if it, cause it's hard, you know, and by the way, even though I've gotten lucky and, and finally, finally, you know, been making some money at this after 20 years, we've all been through the slog and it's hard and I don't make light of it, you know? And so there is making money and getting by is part of this human condition, but it just simply cannot, it cannot get in the way of what matters most. It can't. Or if it does, it's at the cost of, like you said in the very beginning, the people who are making billions of dollars and have no happiness to and show for it at the end in of the day. A heartbeat to still have their family together maybe, or to still, you know, um, have their life together, whatever that means. And so, and so I just try really hard to never lose sight of that. I love that. Well, you've shared some really cool stories with us and just a lot of inspiring business advice and life advice and perspective. It's all been really, really cool. I have one last question for you. All right that I love to ask everyone. And that is, if there's one message that people remember from this episode, what do you want that one message to be? Speaking as Sean, the family man, dad, um, which is my number one priority still, I would, I, I'll give you two. I would tell you that like, I, like a broken record, everything else is dust. And and I try to remind myself of it every day. Speaking as, as Sean, the business leader, CEO, loves that guy who is going to uh, inspire mankind to buy less stuff and buy better, I would compel you to buy less stuff and buy better stuff. So there you go. Love it. Those are awesome, awesome pieces of wisdom and words of wisdom for us. So, um, and you know, you're such a fun person to follow and I know people are going to come away from this too, saying like, I want more of this guy. I want more of his inspiration in, in my life. So where can people find you on, I know you have a really fun YouTube channel and you do a lot of great stuff on Instagram and yeah. um, where are you and where can they find you? Yeah, YouTube. I, I do a vlog. Um, you can follow kind of the life of a CEO uh, and the family guy, uh, Sean Nelson, S-H-A-W-N Nelson, pretty straightforward on YouTube. Everywhere else, I'm Sean of Lovestack, Instagram. Twitter, all that, uh, and uh, I'm—I'll be starting my own podcast in February. I'm excited, called Design for Life, unpacking all of these things. Um, and right now, it's on on my blog called DFL, like Designed for Life, DFLGroup.org, which you can find at the footer page of Lovesack. And so, anyway, get the Lovesack. You'll find me, Sean Nelson, and I'm and I'm grateful to uh, have any attention at all. We'll put all of those links in our show notes and we're just, I'm super grateful that you took the time. So thank you for sharing everything that you've shared with us today. Great to see you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.